and invite you to stand as I read our passage for today. John chapter 12, verse 36b through 50, on page 899 in the Pew Bible. When Jesus had said these things, all the things that he said previously, which Matt preached on last week, so you can go back and listen to that sermon later if you missed it. When Jesus said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though, they, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and he said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has uh, has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear the Father's voice through Jesus the Son this morning, that your commandment would give us eternal life. You may have a seat. The big idea for this morning, the big idea from this text is that Jesus invites us to trust or in parentheses believe in him and receive eternal life. As we've been going through the gospel of John, we see this word translated into English, believe, 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 believe. It's all over the gospel of John. John has told us in John chapter 20 that the thesis, the point of his letter is that we would see the works that Jesus is doing in this letter and that we would believe. This Greek word is pistis. It it means to believe or to trust or to have faith. And so I've said this many times and I keep saying it again. I prefer the translation trust because I think in our context often when we hear the word belief, we think about a mental assent to a certain set of doctrinal creeds or, or it's just like this kind of, yes, check that off. I believe those things. But trust, it's I believe these things and I'm willing to step out in faith and actually do something about it. What I believe is changing how I live. That's the deeper meaning of this word pistis. It's not just about confession of a creed. It's about a life transformation by the Spirit of God living and working in us as we continually, day after day, step out and trust him. And so this morning as we look at this passage, that's the big idea. I want to look at three different movements in this text. The power to trust, the process of trust, and the person to trust. The power to trust, the process of trust, and the person to trust. So if you're like a type A note taker type, there you go. If you're not, don't worry about it. The power to trust. Let's start there. Look at the text with me here. John chapter 12. 
when Jesus, um, again, I'm in verse 36b, kind of where that heading is. When Jesus had said these things, and again, Matt preached, did a great job on this preceding text last week. Jesus had just reminded them in verse 35. Let's look at it so we get a little context. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Remember, throughout the gospel of John, Jesus is calling himself the light, the light of the world. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness did not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of of the light. Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the light of the world. Look to me and you will see. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So he had said these things in a mixed company of his disciples, primarily Jews who were following him, but also People, Jewish leaders who were not his disciples, they were questioning him, they were doubting him, they were pushing back, they were threatened by him, and they're ready to kill him. And Matt kind of unpacked that last week. Here in the Gospel of John, we see a change from chapters 1 through 12 and then 13 through the rest of the chapter. Chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is doing his ministry in public. Well, part of it, it, it's with the disciples, and then he goes public. There's public healings, there's public teachings, there's public statements. If you remember, he came into Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles and proclaimed, I am the living water, I am the light of the world. He had been healing people, he healed a crippled man, he healed a blind man, he raised Lazarus from the dead, all these public signs, which John tells us are intended to get people to trust, believe, trust Jesus, to believe in Jesus. And now there's a shift in the Gospel of John where he removes himself from the public light for a brief time and he spends his last week in intimate connection and relationship with just the disciples. And so we're actually going to pause after today. We're going to pause on the Gospel of John and we're going to look at Psalms for the rest of July and August. And then we're going to pick John 13 up again in September and do our fall sermon series on Jesus' intimate connection and relationship with his disciples in the second half of the book of John. So kind of note that, that there's a, there's a shift here. Verses 36b through 50 of chapter 12, it's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a prologue to the first half of the book. He's kind of shutting it down. He's wrapping some things up. John is giving some commentary, wrapping some big ideas up of what Jesus has been doing in the first half of the book. And so we know that at this moment, Jesus finishes his public teaching and then he removes himself, he hides himself from them. He, he, he goes to a small town near Jerusalem and just hunkers down with his disciples. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So here's this idea of trust, belief, faith that we want to wrestle with this morning. Some believe, some trust Jesus and others don't, right? That's true in your own life. Why do some of my family members, why do some of my friends, why do some of my neighbors, why do some of the people in the church have genuine belief and faith and trust and others don't? And there's a lot of theology that has gone into this conversation that has hurt people and confused people and divided people. And we're going to talk some about that this morning as we go. The big idea here to keep in mind is that some people believe and some people don't. And we're told here in verse 37 that he had done many signs before them and they still did not believe. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But as we, we also see in verse, jump down to verse 42. Nevertheless, 
many, even of the authorities, believed in him. All right? So we see in verse 42 that some believed, and we see in verse 37 that many did not believe. And so we have to ask the question, where does belief, where does trust, where does faith come from? Where does the power to trust Jesus come from? Well, here's the answer. The power to trust comes from God. The scriptures teach that faith is a gift from God in Ephesians 2.8. And it comes by hearing the word of God, specifically through Jesus Christ. It's what Romans 10.17 tells us. And there's many other passages in Scripture. There's, there, there's a whole bunch of evidence, and we don't have time to go through all the different Scripture passages, and I don't want this to be a systematic theology lesson this morning. I want us to understand what's happening here in John chapter 12. Here's two verses that make this pretty clear. That faith, trust, belief in God is a gift from God. It's not a reward for your works. You don't get the gift of trusting Jesus because he said, oh, you came to church a lot. You gave a lot of money. You did your devotions right. You believed the right doctrines. You did the right things. You, you had the right moral compass. You lived the right ethical life. Faith is not a result of works, as Ephesians, that whole passage in Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us. It's simply a gift from God. And so when we see in verse 37 that some didn't believe, and in verse 42 of John chapter 12 that some did believe, those who believed, they simply received a gift from God. And it's specifically through hearing the word of Christ, which is why we proclaim Jesus, which is why we preach Jesus, even though many people see this as an antiquated thing, right, for a person to stand up and proclaim and preach. Like, it's not, it goes longer than a TED Talk. Just know that. TED Talks are 18 minutes. We're going to go longer than 18 minutes this morning. People will say, that's irrelevant. Attention spans can't last for more than 18 minutes. Pastors should shut up. And it should be a dialogue. Pastors should stop proclaiming and preaching. And we should stop sending missionaries around the world. And we should stop receiving missionaries around the world. In fact, South Korea is the most sending country in the world right now, sending out missionaries to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus. And people are like, we should stop doing that. But we believe that faith in Jesus, which produces eternal life and abundant life, which Jesus said in John chapter 10, comes from hearing, from hearing the word of God. And so we proclaim the word of God. And specifically, it comes from hearing the word of God through Jesus Christ himself, which is why we open the scriptures and why we see Jesus' teaching and why we wrestle with Jesus' teaching and why we listen and why we listen and why we listen. And this is what Jesus is doing here in John. He's doing miracles and he's delivering teachings. He's proclaiming truth so that his listeners would trust. This is where faith comes from. It's a gift of God granted to some who hear. Remember what John had said in John chapter 20. He gives us his thesis. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe or trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing and trusting, you may have life in his name. When we look at Jesus' works, 
And when we listen to Jesus' words, and when we follow and practice Jesus' ways, we grow in trust. Trust is a gift to those who look at Jesus' works, listen to Jesus' words, and practice Jesus' ways. And again, it's not a reward for doing those things, but it's granted to people who are doing those things. And there's a tension here. There's a mystery here that we can't quite understand. So we got to look at the other flip side of this coin. If trust is a gift, what about the lack of trust? Well, the lack of trust comes from dull ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts. Chosen and nurtured by humans, but also given by God. And here's the tension. This passage, right, if we, if we look at it, so John goes on to, in, in this passage here in John chapter 12, he gives us this little commentary in between Jesus' teaching. So verse 37, it says, though, they had, though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. Remember, some did. Faith is a gift. Others didn't. Verse 38, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John here is now getting into some of this, some of this tension between why do some trust and why do others not? Why do, specifically, let me say this, why do some trust God and his son Jesus Christ, and why do others trust themselves or the world or politicians or pastors or kind of substitute gods? That's the difference here. Some trust God, others deny God, and they trust substitute lowercase g gods. And John is going to get into that. Therefore, they could not believe. It's a striking statement in verse 39. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He, being God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. This sounds hard and harsh, doesn't it? If faith is a gift from God, what we're seeing here in this text is that the lack of faith, the lack of trust, seems to be given by God. Now, I said in this statement that it's chosen and nurtured by humans, but it's also given by God. And so we're going to talk about these two things together. First, I, don't want, I want to just acknowledge that it is chosen and nurtured by humans. Like the, the, the Christian origin story goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1 and 2, God created all things, called it good, 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 good. Everything is good. And he's a liberal God who lavished Adam and Eve with all things. He said, everything is yours. All of creation is yours. Enjoy it. Except for one thing, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God didn't want them to have the knowledge of evil. There was already evil in existence, right? The, 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 the angel, Lucifer, had already rebelled against God and took some of the angels with him, these, these demonic beings, these spiritual beings which are in rebellion against God. So evil existed, and here God said, here's this tree, I'm giving you choice. Here's this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. All that you know is good, Genesis 1 2. Good, 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 good. Adam and Eve, in disobedience, because they wanted some, right? It's so hard to be told No. Don't touch the red button. Ah, that's all I want to do now. Human nature. Don't eat that. Ah, don't tell me what not to do. 
And so they listen to the serpent's voice. They eat of this tree. And, and all of a sudden, their eyes are open to evil. They feel naked and ashamed, and they run, and they hide from God, and they cover themselves. And God comes to find them. And he asks Adam, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? See, the lack of trust comes from dumb, dull ears, dumb ears probably too, dull ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts, first of all, chosen and nurtured by humans. So Adam and Eve, our, our, our first parents, they chose and they nurtured a lack of trust in God. Remember, the serpent comes, did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And, and, and they, they didn't fully trust and that's where sin enters and fracture and brokenness. But then there's also this, well, in, in, in Romans chapter 1 and 2, right, before we move on to given by God, Romans 1 and 2, it, there's too much here to get into Romans 1 and 2, just a summary of it. It says that, therefore, God gave them over to the desires of their flesh, that, that mankind, all of us, man and woman alike, all the people of the world, humans created in God's image and likeness, his image bearers, who are, are good in his creation and all things are good, we are now broken and marred because we have chosen and nurtured sin. And it says that as we do that, as we live with dull ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts, God gives us over to the passions of our flesh, which wage war against our soul and create distance between God, his creation, like the earth, and other people, the pinnacle of his creation. So the lack of trust, like if you're wrestling with that, you know, people that you love, they're not believing in Jesus, they don't have trust, they don't have faith, they don't have belief. Why? God, why won't you open their eyes? Why won't you soften their hearts? Why won't you open up their ears? It starts with their own choice to do life their own way and to nurture that. And that's true for you and I as well. Like before we came to Christ, before he gave us the gift of faith, we had chosen our own way. And we nurtured our own way. And this distanced us from God. Our lack of trust, our lack of faith, our lack of belief in Jesus was because of us. And even still today, right? We don't have perfect trust and faith and belief. We're going to talk some about that in just a minute. But even today, our lack of trust, it comes from dull ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts, right? It's when we choose sin and we choose to nurture sin. Now, thankfully, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, Jesus come in and undone all of that. Yet we still wrestle with the flesh. We still tend to dull our ears, blind our eyes, and, and harden our hearts, but this is not perpetually true of us. We are now saints who occasionally sin rather than sinners who have no option to be saintly until we're redeemed and made new and given the new birth, the new life that Jesus has already talked about in the Gospel of John. Okay, so that's what I mean by chosen and nurtured by humans. 
The second piece is given by God. And so now here's this harder tension. And what John is doing here in verse 30, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And he's setting up this idea. He says, so this is a quote from Isaiah 53, 1. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The prophet Isaiah is preaching to the nation of Israel and they're not hearing him. Years before Jesus is on the scene, this prophet comes to God's people, Israel, and he's proclaiming, he's proclaiming, he's proclaiming, and they have dull ears, blind eyes, and hard hearts. And John, he's saying, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's saying, here and now. Remember, now we're in the New Testament. Jesus is walking among them. He's doing signs and miracles and he's teaching. And he's saying the arm of the Lord is being revealed through Jesus. When we see Jesus' works and listen to Jesus' word, that's the arm of the Lord being revealed. He goes on, therefore they could not believe. Again, this is, what does that mean? They could not believe. Did God intentionally keep their ears dull? and their eyes blind, and their hearts hard? And does he still do that? And could a good God do that? That's vindictive. And depending on your church tradition and your theological background and who you listen to, this can get pretty complicated and very divisive. So stick with me for a minute. I think I figured it out after all the centuries. (laughs) Stick with me. He has blinded their eyes, and so now... John is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. He says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest their eyes see and understand with their hearts, and they would turn and they would heal them. It almost seems like as if God would lift his hand, they would turn and he would heal them. He would have to because he says, If you turn to me, I will heal you. Yet it seems like he won't allow them to turn to him. Go over to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to see a little bit of this in its context. Isaiah chapter 6. And in the first part of Isaiah chapter 6, God shows up to Isaiah. He sees these angels, the the cherubim and the seraphim, and he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This prophet Isaiah is just awestruck with the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. Pick it up in verse 8. And this is Isaiah recounting what happened. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said... Here I am, send me. So so God is having a holy conversation with the Trinity and with the angels and all of the heavenly beings. And he's saying, who will go to my people Israel and proclaim God's truth to them? And Isaiah is awestruck with who God is. And he says, here am I, send me. I'm willing to go as the prophet. I'm willing to go as the missionary. I'm willing to go as the one to proclaim the glory of God. Verse 9, and he said, Go and say to this people. So God gives him direction. Here's your message, Isaiah. Here's what you're going to preach. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, their, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people from afar. And so I skipped over this part, but I want you to hear. As Isaiah is proclaiming this word, saying that the people's ears are going to become dull, their hearts are going to become, their ears are heavy, their eyes are blind, their hearts are hardened. 
Verse 11, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until. So this isn't a perpetual, long-term hardening. There's a specific hardening that God gives to the people of Israel for a specific person, purpose, and a specific person. It's, it's coming, right? There's, there's something specific and unique happening here. He says, until, until cities lay waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Okay, he finishes it up. There, there's this specific hardening that happens through Isaiah's message. <coughs> Excuse me. The specific hardening that is happening here. That's what John is referring to. In a similar manner, there's a specific hardening happening to the Jewish leaders in the time of Jesus. It's this parallel. God specifically dulled the ears, blinded the eyes, and hardened the hearts of Israel to the prophet Isaiah's message. God is specifically hardening (coughs) the heart, blinding the eyes, and dulling the ears of the Jewish leaders to the message of Jesus. So there's a couple times, there's another place where this happens. I want you to look at Romans chapter 9 with me. And again, this is a huge conversation that we're only going to scratch the surface on this morning, but I think it's important to just give this a moment. Romans chapter 9. Uh, and really, it's best to read this all in context. Like, read the whole book of Romans, and then 9, 10, and 11 will make more sense. Some people like to cherry-pick verses and build whole theologies by cherry-picked verses, and that's never a good idea. Romans 9, 10, and 11 go together, and it's, it, it's, it's uh, the Apostle Paul sharing the story about God hardening Pharaoh's heart here in this context. Verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In the verse before, he says, Jacob I loved, Esai I hated. Like, how can God love somebody and hate another? How can God give belief or faith or trust to one person and harden another person's heart? That's the tension. And, and here Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Injustice on God's part by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. And again, faith is a gift. Not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. I'm going to cut it off right there and not go through the end of this passage that I put on the screen. It gives you a little context for what's happening here. There's this specific hardening, blinding, dulling of God to Israel for Isaiah's message, to Israel, well, to Pharaoh for Moses' message, right? And now to the religious leaders in the New Testament to Jesus' message. So what we see here is that John's gospel, it, there's a, in John's gospel, there's a specific hardening of Israel's religious leaders to Jesus, much like the hardening of Pharaoh that we read about in Romans 9, much like the hardening of Israel to Isaiah, which John quotes in John chapter 12, 
That's what he wants us to see. There's a specific hardening for a specific reason for that particular moment in redemptive history. And here's what I think it's for. It's all leading towards this moment where there will be an incredible inclusion of Gentiles to the family of God, where Gentiles will now be grafted in. The name of Matt's church plant is grafted, right? Because Gentiles are grafted into the family of God, the people of Israel, the sons and daughters of God. And so there's a specific hardening. What we see here in John, and, and there's still tensions here, and I jokingly said I figured it out, right? Like none of the other pastors and theologians for centuries have figured it out. I haven't figured it out. I think what's happening here in John is that he's pointing out that there's this specific hardening that God has given so that those who already by their own cho- choice and in, in, in nurturing their own selfishness and arrogance and sinfulness, they're already opposed to Jesus in Israel. They were opposed to God's message through Isaiah. Pharaoh was opposed to God's signs and wonders through Moses. And God said, okay, if you're going to be opposed to me, if you're going to choose to oppose me and nurture that opposition, I'm going to hold you there so that those who are becoming soft to me, I'm going to give the gift of faith and belief to. See, we're all naturally opposed to God being Lord of our life. And in these specific moments and for these specific purposes, he has, he has hardened them so that the floodgates would open to Gentiles. Because there's a ton of prophecy and a ton of scripture that says, as the Jews reject Jesus, and I want to be careful, it's not all Jews reject Jesus, right? Most of the disciples were Jews. There's many Jews in the Twin Cities coming to believe in Jesus, the Messiah. But as the religious institution and the power brokers of the Jews reject Jesus, there's going to be this unique opportunity for Gentiles to come in to the faith and receive abundant life in Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 28 with me on page 937 in the Pew Bible. Acts 28, to see this play out one more time. It says, uh, Acts 28, I'm going to pick it up in verse 23. In context here, Paul is being dragged before Jewish leaders. He's in trouble for proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, because remember, Paul was a Jewish leader, a prominent Jewish leader. Now he puts his faith in the Messiah, and now he's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, and so he's on trial. Verse 23, it says, When they had appointed a day for him, the Jewish leaders, they came to him at his lodging in greater number. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, their own books. He's trying to say, and Jesus has told us in Luke 24, that all of the law and the prophets are about me. That's what Paul is doing. Jewish leaders Religious institution with your dull ears and your blind eyes and your hard hearts. See and believe. Jesus has told us that all of the law and the prophets point to him. And so Paul's doing the same thing. Verse 24, it goes on to say, and some were convinced by what he said. Right? Some believe. Some trust. But others disbelieved. Why? And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet again. 
Now Paul is quoting the same passage that John quoted. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. That's the invitation for all of us. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. That's the specific hardening that we see happening in the scriptures. And, and so I, I just want us as a church family to be, be careful in how we understand God hardening somebody's heart to the gospel. I think what we see here in the scriptures is this specific hardening of specific people in a specific time and place for the Gentile inclusion, like it says right there in the passage that we just read. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This gift came to you. You rejected it. I'm going to bring it to another people. They're going to receive it. That's what's happening here in John 12. There remains a tension to recognize and a mystery to embrace between God's sovereignty and human responsibility throughout redemptive history. Why does God grant the gift of faith to some and not to others? And is it God who keeps them from believing or their own stubborn hearts? There's a mystery. There's a tension. Don't try to solve it. Don't be, beat people up about it. Weep with those who weep over the lost state of their loved ones. Pray for God to soften their ears and open their eyes, soften their hearts. Don't use verses out of context and say, well, God has just hardened them. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. There's a tension that has to be embraced, a, a mystery to embrace in this. And we see that throughout redemptive history. This old Puritan quote that I have shared before, it's really helpful. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So if the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, has melted the ice of your heart, praise him for it. God, why me? Why did you give me this gift? I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. Why me? That should cause you to worship and then why is this person hardened by that son? I don't know. God, would you soften them? Soften their heart. Open their ears. Open their eyes. Help them to hear your word and to respond in faith and belief and trust. That's the call for us. Second, the process of trust. And we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here. John chapter 12. Let's kind of wrap up the, the final thoughts here. John chapter 12, the process of trust. Verse 41 through 43. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, which is an amazing phrase. It's saying that Isaiah actually saw the glory of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. When he spoke about the coming Messiah, he saw Jesus. And he saw him in all of his glory, and that's the one whom he spoke of. When, when Isaiah prophesied, like Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant, he's prophesying about Jesus. He had seen Jesus in all of his glory. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. Right? So there again, we have belief. Some believe. Some have faith. Some trust. Verse 37 told us that others didn't. 
But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I love this passage here. It shows us the process of trust. It's not linear, and it's not the same for everyone. There's, there's these categories here of unbelief, disbelief, and degrees of belief. And actually, I think I, <laughs> even this morning as we were singing, I collapse. I want to collapse unbelief and disbelief into one. So there's like unbelief slash disbelief, and then there's degrees of belief. And here's what I mean. Originally, when I had put this together, I thought that unbelief, it, it's rejection in spite of information. That's what the Jewish leaders are doing here in John. They see the signs and miracles of Jesus. They've received the teaching of Jesus. They, has, they have information, and they outright reject it. Some of the people in our lives, that, that's where they're at. Some of you might be there. I reject that. I don't believe it. I don't trust it. Seems too narrow, seems too exclusive, seems, I reject Jesus and his teachings. That, that's a category of unbelief. Disbelief seeks more information. It's like, well, I'm not quite sure. And I actually want to kind of collapse those into one and just say, there are people who don't believe. Some of them just need more information. It's like when your kid says, I built the biggest snowman in the world. Out back, Dad, come see it. And you're like, I don't believe you. And then you go and look, and it's like, that might be the biggest snowman in the world. Now I believe. I, I don't know. I still got to Google and see what the tallest one was, right? Why am I talking about snow? It's summer. What, whatever it is, it's something that you hear, and you're like, hmm, I got, I got to investigate a little bit more. I need more information. And so in John, we see these people in unbelief and disbelief, some outright rejecting Jesus. Others are, are curious they need more information. They're listening. They're, they're processing. They're asking good questions. They're digging. And then there's degrees of belief. There's people who have belief. But belief isn't linear. Our trust isn't linear. Our faith isn't linear. It doesn't all look the same. And here's the reality. That degrees of belief, it involves lifelong maturation. And that's hopefully where you and I are. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you've received him for salvation... Hopefully you're not perpetually living in unbelief or disbelief. Now, every now and then you slip into there. Remember that story where, where the man comes to Jesus, Jesus heals his son, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. So even people who trust Jesus, has, have, we have moments where we don't trust Jesus, where we struggle to believe, where we struggle to have faith, we have questions. Hopefully we haven't outright rejected Jesus, right? But, but to be in him includes lifelong maturation and growing up. We see in this text, verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities, so some of the religious institution believed in him. Praise God and amen. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They don't want to lose their prestige, their place, their honor. They don't want to be humiliated publicly. They don't want to lose their jobs. Some of us are there. We're like, I don't know if I want to be the weird Jesus person. I don't know if I want my neighbors to like not come and hang out or not respect me or my coat. Like, that's, that's part of the journey. Degrees of belief, peeling back layer after layer after layer of what it means to trust Jesus and to walk with Jesus. And here's what we see playing out here. The lifelong process of learning to trust is different for each of us. Some of us 
are like Isaiah, right? On his face before God. Here I am, send me, I will go, I will do whatever you want, Lord. Others are like Peter. One moment, here I am, send me. I'll fight these people off the next minute. Who's Jesus? I didn't even know him. Degrees of belief? All over the scriptures. Mary? Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, worshiping. Martha working hard. Others are like the believing but scared Pharisees, as, we're, as we see here in John chapter 12, right? They believe, but they don't confess because they don't want to be put out of the synagogue. And really a damning verse. However, it's not damning. It's just descriptive. Verse 43, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's not a good place to be. You don't want to be there. However, John is saying there is these degrees of belief where the process of trusting Jesus fully is different for everyone. We saw Nicodemus in John chapter 3 coming to Jesus in secret at night because he was afraid of being associated with Jesus. And he remains afraid throughout the rest of the Gospel of John until the very end when him and Joseph of Arimathea, another secret believer, disciple of Jesus, they come out of the Jesus closet, they buy the tomb, and they put Jesus in the tomb. So there's degrees of belief, trust, faith. Just be aware of that in journey with one another. Verse, related to verse 43, I, I just want to ask you this question. Where are you tempted to love the glory of God given by others more than God? Or where are you tempted to love the glory given by others more than God? Is there anything in your life right now where you're like, I'm not really sure... Like just think about those pressure points in your life. I'm struggling to trust God here or to follow him here because I'm trusting the world or I'm valuing what others say about me. This idea for, for uh, glory in verse 43, it's doxa, it means value. So they actually just, they valued more what people said about them and thought about them than what God says about them and thought about them. And that might be true for us this morning. I'd encourage you to spend some time this week just thinking through like, where am I tempted to, to value and seek and pursue affirmation from other people rather than the affirmation and acceptance that God has already given me. And then I, I want to ask you, would you just join me in opening your hands to release your idolatry this morning? Like, we've all got it. We don't need to throw stones at these believers that we see here in verse 42 and 43 where they believed, but they didn't confess, for they were wrestling with wanting to be loved by the world rather than trusting God's love for them. Jesus, right now even, I pray that you would reveal to us areas that we need to release to you, where we're seeking the approval, the praise, the affirmation, the glory, the love, the value from other people more than what we already have from you. Would you expose our idolatry and love Thank you for removing it in your grace and may we release it to you. And then lastly, the person to trust that we see in this text, you guessed it, it's obviously Jesus, right? At the end of this chapter, as he turns his eyes towards Calvary and his attention to the disciples, I already said he's kind of leaving the public eye now and just intimately, personally ministering to the disciples in the second half of the book of John. Jesus, in, Jesus gives an invitation to trust in him 
and to receive eternal life. Let me just read this passage to close out this morning. And Jesus cried out and he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we hear these words, may you grant us either the gift of faith for the first time or increasing measures of faith. Lord, may we grow in trusting who you are, what you say, and what you've done. And as you close out the section of John, he said, I know that his commandment is eternal life. I thank you for proclaiming the commandment of God and offering eternal life to us, your sons and your daughters. May you work in us for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of, your gospel, the advancement of the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.